Welcome to the Smarty Podcast Series from Charlotte Smarty Pants, where we focus on all things parenting. We talk about everything from education, health, travel, beauty, fashion, and more. Join in on the discussion at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast Series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio, and the best parties in the QC the pop star music video parties, and professional voice lessons in a studio. Also amazing content creation. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com. Hi everyone, this is Jen Plim with Charlotte Smarty Pants. Thanks for joining us today. Here today with us is Mary York Oates, Director of Admissions at Charlotte Latin School, and our resident Smarty expert on all things education. So thanks for coming today. So glad to see you and be here again. I know, and be live. Um, So today we're talking about early childhood and the five senses. Mary York likes to call it smushed together learning. (laughs) Um, So we're going to start with distance learning and socially distant tours. You talk about how confused you were when you heard that. Let's elaborate on that. It's so funny. When when I got this... I would say in January of last year, we started getting um, research. Our nurses were coming to us saying things like, there's this terrible virus out there. It's spreading really rapidly. You might want to think about tours. You might need to stop having tours. And um, tours, as you know, that's the bread and butter of our business. We're very, very committed to hospitality in the independent school world and want people to feel welcome and um, to reduce all barrier for entry. And so I said, well, I can't imagine not having a tour. Um, And she said, well, if you have a tour, you could have one socially distanced. And I was like, what do you mean? What does that mean? Right. It's just so foreign. You know, now it's in the vernacular. But she said, well, do it six feet apart. And I said, that is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. That'll never work. And, um, you know, now looking through having lived through the past 15 months, that's exactly what we had to do. And we, of course, suspended tours for a long time. But right, they were all virtual in the fall. They were all virtual in the fall. We couldn't have visitors to campus. And the it's when I think of social and distance, it those words are in conflict with each other, just like distance learning. I believe that to be social, I mean, and granted, we have social media, and and that is a virtual connection. But really, if we think about how we connect with people, it's often through our eyes, through our actions, through our interactions, being together, being close. That's sort of how we identify sort of our social circle, really. Right. Um, and so to become, to have to be removed from that was was pretty strange. Um, and so it was it was mind bending in the beginning and. I still think it's kind of mean, actually, and kind of rude. I don't really think social distancing is. Um, I know it still feels weird, it, it like does. to go in for a handshake or a hug or a right whatever. It and feels you, strange to to pause and, and there's, step back. You're right, and then now there's this kind of layer of awkwardness that yeah. you know we don't we've had to relearn, but uh, important, of course. I mean, it's right. helped us prevent spread, which is great. Right. Um, so let's talk about remote learning and how difficult it is, particularly for early childhood. I think the piece for remote learning and, and distance learning is the lack of why I say we need to be smushed together is that little children learn in, in little, almost like a litter, you know, in li- yeah, a little, little, a little puppy pile, you mm-hmm. know, and they learn by um, interacting with each other, by moving, by singing, by doing these things, remote learning 
obviously the first problem which you mentioned earlier is you're looking into a, into a screen and so there's an abyss what you know it's mm-hmm. it's an avatar it's robotic it's space age so how are you really connecting with a child when you have this this barrier with the teacher on one side and 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 then it's also interesting to have a teacher on one side and a student on one side and then the little squares of all your classmates mm-hmm. in the screen and distracting too like, so distracting like how do they how do they grief how do you wrangle them back in exactly and you know every every child is different some get very agitated when they see themselves yeah others i'm like that as right. an adult on zooms I, I love it when it's just a profile headshot right. and not live because I'm always fidgeting, which is so bizarre. It, it is. It's really it can be really uncomfortable. And then other children are fascinated by their image and they want to blow them. They want to pin themselves, you know. Yeah. And So that's kind of funny, too. So, um, you know, I, I think we'll touch on this. But when a teacher has to communicate through a platform that is virtual, they're going to build a lesson plan that works for that. Right. When a teacher teaches in the classroom, they're going to build a lesson plan for that. And they're just so incredibly different. Um, think about teacher prep, for example. Mm-hmm. A teacher prepping for tomorrow's lesson while she has the classroom, her laboratory, while the children have gone home, enables her to put packets out on desk, to get the whiteboard ready, to have her materials lined up, to think of the flow. Well, if you're doing that remotely, you have to send all that stuff home. And then you've got to have a little child manage it because really one thing that we worked pretty hard on was to get the parent out of the screen Mm -hmm. um, and let it become teacher and child. So, But first and foremost, the lack of accessibility, a barrier, Oz behind the screen, all of that, I just think is problematic for a five or six year old. Um, and plus, you know, many of them can play on an iPad, but they're not interacting with people through a screen until, I mean, you know, until just recently. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how these kids, the, particularly the younger ones, adapt and how, you know, what are the positives that they, I mean, obviously, we know we've talked about a lot of the negatives, but what are some of the positives that you've observed in them? I think one positive that I've observed is they're incredibly adaptable. Right. Um, Because they're young, they catch on really quickly. One of my favorite anecdotes, and I may have shared this with you before, but some of the young students, so we had our lower school students were back every day, but children in the fall when what I'm from the beginning from the beginning so okay. from the very beginning we prioritized having our lower school there every, every day. day okay but there were still quite a few children who chose to be remote right and what we didn't have we have an ed tech department but we don't have an ed tech faculty for every class right, right. and so the teacher had to be teacher in real time as well as Online. facilitator for those remote children and even if they just had two or three that were remote it was quite complicated for the lesson plan. How did they how did they overcome that? Like how did they what did the what are some things that the teachers did that just wish they did? Incredible incredible restructuring. I mean, the one thing we used our professional development days to give teachers a break so that they could do material prep and it was a bit 
like probably an Amazon placement distribution center. I mean, they sat down and they figured out, you know, if they were doing a reindeer project for three remote children, they had to have, if you've ever seen an art project for a kindergarten class, it usually takes two or three days to complete. And it has about 16 different pieces. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, there would be times when one of my good friends that I coached with, Mrs. Rogers, would say, there'd be a child on remote saying, I don't have the reindeer ears. And she's (laughs) like, they're in Ziploc bag four. You know, it was just incredibly, it was like Apollo 11. I mean, it was incredibly systematic. Yeah, um, yeah. But that takes a lot of work. But the kids kind of caught on. And and the ones that stayed remote all year, there are just a few still that are remote. Everybody, for the most part, has come back. Yeah. But the ones that are still remote really have figured out sort of how to organize their materials and stay with it and know when to ask the questions and that kind of thing. Do you find that over the course of the year that that goal of having the parent not, you know, not part of the Zoom, did that, was that accomplished? I think it was. I think it was accomplished. It was probably better. It was. And I mean, I think that the younger ones that were remote still needed a parent to Yeah, such a tough age. It is to help them. But they... I think that's a silver lining is to be able to learn that the teacher was still the teacher and mm-hmm. the child, you know, while there was a barrier with the screen, the, the child was connected. I was in the transitional kindergarten class one day, and um, it was really fun to see a lesson being taught. And our little friend, Ina, who was remote, every now and then you would hear her say, you know, P is for popper or whatever it was, and it would just come out of the iPad and the children were were anticipating and expecting her engagement and would engage her. Oh, that's good. And so that was the thing that I loved is that there would be um, a job where a student would maybe help manage the remote piece for the teacher. And, and we're talking about five- and six-year-olds, yeah, which that was pretty cool to see. That is cool to see. What about um, the fatigue factor and Zoom fatigue? And mm-hmm. I think that we've probably talked about this and this goes back to the brain and I'm such a big believer in the value of brain research in teaching young children, but there's a delay with Zoom and it's so microscopic, but the brain picks up on it. It's mm-hmm. sort of like being on a boat and the horizon being, you yeah. know, why do you get seasick is because your your brain is wobbling and your vision yeah. is. Yeah. So that's kind of happening. And so to be able to figure out how to reduce screen time or make screen time more meaningful or or to have alternative activities within the screen activity, that was definitely, you know, a mix. Yeah. But the teachers figured it out, and, the, and so did the students. And it, it was amazing how much they accomplished. But I still think it turned learning for this remote child into a two-dimensional process where they had to overdevelop their sense of listening overdeveloped their sense of seeing right. and there wasn't much in the other senses you know no touch no no smell no taste the things that we think of as true hands-on uh, value add tools to teach no singing right um, lack of movement I mean I think a six-foot bubble is very hard for any child and there were times when I say this in the blog it did and it, actually, it did look like pre-colonial days at times, you know, little children at desk with a pencil and a barrier yeah, um, with a little bucket of toys. You know, the centers were gone. Yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, no sharing, no tussling, nobody waiting patiently for, you know, Larry the lion because. Yeah, there might be some good, you know, also with the screen time, too. Like, I wonder if one other positive that comes out of this is deliberate use of screen time. Like, this is, you know, using this for an education tool. And they're tired. You know, I see that in my kids and they're teenagers. They're not as... Even though the the boys like to be video gaming and connecting with their friends on that component, they're doing screen time in that regard less and less. Maybe they're on their phones more, um, but they are. I, I think they're tired of of screens. I think they're not tuning out to a thousand YouTube videos and yeah, things like that. Like, you yeah. know, they're outside more. I think as a society as a whole, you know, when we were at the beginning of lockdown. We're all like, let's re-explore nature and let's get outside. We're, you know, we're trapped. And I feel like kids are in that in that space, too. You know, maybe maybe it's like a natural evolution of less screen time. I don't know. It would be great. I mean, would, I, th- I think it would be. And I think the beauty of remote, what is the positive of these virtual platforms? What is the single most positive thing about the virtual platform, in my mind, would be that it doesn't interrupt learning. So for quarantine, it was fantastic. And that was a real win for us, was Mm -hmm. our ability to to prevent spread. So if a child was potentially exposed, then for two weeks or whatever, we we changed our count based on what the CDC recommended as as we've learned more throughout the year. But the children didn't get behind. Right. And so that is incredible. Will we keep that flexibility? I think, I don't know to what extent you want to offer 54 different options to learn, because I think it really does water down the whole effect. Um, I think you need to know who you are. I think it's a real opportunity for true online schools. Right. And even like in higher education too, or like high school and higher, um, there's opportunity to be more hybrid. There's a negative, like, luckily we didn't have any snow days, but my kids, I was like, well, we did have a tornado day maybe because those are new. Those are replacing snow, and that's a whole different global warming situation. But, um, you know, there's, I was like, you know there's no more snow days because now they know how to teach remotely. Right. So they're like, what? The death of the snow days is one of the worst consequences of of COVID-19. It's the worst thing. Um, Well, one last thing. Let's talk about, like, what do you see ahead for school admissions? I know this past year was crazy for independent schools. Everyone was jumping ship. Like, do you think that's leveling off or what do you think um, is going to happen moving forward? I think the biggest uptick in interest was in the lower school because we right, were they in, need live instruction. Right. They need live instruction. I think if we've learned anything as a society, I think parents will be more inclined to buy the blocks and Legos for Christmas presents than they will right. an iPad. I mean, I think I think we've really drilled that message down right. that learning in person is so much better for the lower school student. It's so relational. It's it's so about the touch, even if we're six feet apart. Um, and we were able to to find moments of true connection, even with our within our bubbles. Um, I think the best thing that came from this experience for us was the way we were able to increase access. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we implemented was a Q and A every Tuesday, and it was a drop in Zoom call. I will do that 
for for the end of time forever yeah because to your nice yeah and the other thing is people don't even have to show their face they can come on they can ask questions they can put things in the chat i understand especially for the first generation independent school person it's an intimidating process from the outside what we strive so hard to do is to show everyone the beautiful thing about an independent school is that if admitted, if there is space and, and the child is admission, is admission appropriate, then there are actually very few limitations. That, right. That's what's the beauty of independent school is right. that you have the beauty to be independent. Right. So kids are going to get an honors class. They're not a set target number of AP teachers. We just meet the demand as it as it, yeah. as it grows. That's beautiful about Latin. Not all schools do that. So, so nice. I, it is it is something that I am particularly proud of in mm-hmm. terms of there's actually so much access once you come in. But if we can create platforms for people to feel um, less intimidated to just inquire, right. then that's a great thing. I also think, at least for the near future, and my good friends, um, I'm a member of the Charlotte Area Independent School Consortium, which is is comprised of Providence Day, Charlotte Country Day, Charlotte Prep, Trinity Episcopal, and Charlotte Prep. And we all have the same um, deadline and application cycle. Nice. And yeah. we've worked so beautifully together in the past, but never more than this year because we just wanted everybody to be safe mm-hmm. and to get what they needed. And, and so, space. Yeah. And, they're, and, and it's a really strong market for independent schools mm-hmm. if you are – if you are working in an independent school, it's tough for the applicant. There, there are not as many spaces as there used to be. Um, but one thing that I have felt may be a thing of the past is these huge sort of open houses where people kind of drop in on one given day because now I know how to slice it and, and not that there's an algorithm, but through the options virtually – People can sign up during lunch to hear about the Fab Lab, right? you know, right. on a, a random Tuesday. I don't need to get them on October the 4th and make sure everybody's seen the Fab Lab. Right. And right. that has been liberating as a director of admission, yeah. that I, that people can learn about us in slow drips at their own speed. On um, their time. On which, their time. Which is, which is how the next generation of parents likes it. Exactly. So it's nice. That's that is nice. good. Um, okay. Well, great. Thank you for joining us today, always. You can find Charlotte Latin School at charlottelatin.org. You can also find them on Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Latin School and Twitter at Charlotte Latin. And you can always find us daily on charlottesmartypants.com, Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Smarty Pants, and Twitter at Charlotte Smarty. Thanks so much for listening to our Smarty Podcast. You can always join in on the conversation at charlottesmartypants.com. The Smarty Podcast series is produced by Charlotte Starroom, Charlotte's premier boutique music development and corporate video production studio. Check them out at charlottestarroom.com.